Hello, and welcome to this crossover episode of both Superhero Ethics and the Star Wars Universe podcast. Today we're talking about the character of Finn from the Star Wars postquels, I think we're calling them, the uh, last three movies. We're talking about how the character was treated and um, how he was mistreated. We're talking about John Boyega, the actor, and his recent comments about feeling like his character was sidelined. And we're talking about all the things we were hoping for from this character and all the directions he could have gone and why there's, I think, a lot of justifiable frustration about where that character actually wound up. Uh, all this we're going to be doing with a uh, special guest, Jared Silva, right after this commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Matthew S. Fox. I'm your host. I'm joined, as I mentioned, by Jared Silva, who was a guest of ours for our great discussion a couple months ago about um, being a parent in the geek world and dealing with geek media. And today we're having him back to talk about Finn. So, Jared, how are we doing today? I'm doing okay. How are you doing, Matthew? Good, good. I, this is one of the, um, I think this was the topic you and I were discussing when uh, Riki had to keep urging me to get back onto the floor and do real work. So I'm looking forward to getting dive into it with you, because I know it's one that... Um, you really kind of opened my eyes on, and I, I hadn't given much thought about till till we talked about. So I'm, I'm really excited that we can, you know, dive more into the character of Finn and talk about um, how he was and, and wasn't treated in these movies. Yeah, I think that this is a topic that's got a lot of depth. Um, there's obviously the side of it that comes from, uh, it was especially brought to light by John Boyega's recent interview in GQ. Yeah. Uh, but there's also things just looking at story and kind of staying away from a lot of the why things happened and just looking in at the character, what could have happened and what could have been, I think uh, there are a lot of missed opportunities there. Yeah. And, and I appreciate what you said about, we're going to, to some extent, stay away from the how um, and really just talk about what happened. Um, and what I mean by that is there's been a ton of debate and I, I've had some thoughts on it. I'm sure Jared, you do too, about, you know, who is most responsible and did, did, abrams or johnson have a better vision for star wars and how did they coordinate and was that kennedy's fault and and all this kind of stuff that that frankly the more i look into it feels like even if i i've been a part of it sometimes that there's a lot of inside baseball and that we don't really know much about who made what decision within star within the sort of star wars disney world but that i think what we can talk about is the end result and we can say looking at the movies that came out looking at boyega's comments looking about fan reaction how does that leave us feeling about the character and about how he was treated and, and what we could have had? Um, so let's start with the Boyega interview. Um, I think many of, our re- many of our listeners may have seen it already or seen articles about it. But just kind of quick review. Um, basically, John Boyega has been very outspoken about racial issues recently. Uh, I mean, for a lot of his career, but especially in recent months. He spoke very passionately about Black Lives Matter uh, a couple of months ago after the George Floyd murder. And then most recently, he gave this interview to GQ where he talked a lot about his frustrations with um, working with Disney and his feeling like um, that the character wasn't treated the way it should have been. Um, and I just want to give a couple of quick quotes from that. Uh, one of the things he said is, what I would say to Disney is do not bring out a black character, market them to be much more important in the franchise than they are, and then have them pushed to the side. He also says, like, you guys knew what to do with Daisy Ridley. You knew what to do with Adam Driver, he says. You knew what to do with these other people, but when it came to Kelly Marie Tran, when it came to John Boyega, you know fuck all. So what do you want me to say? What they want you to say is, I enjoyed being a part of it. It was a great experience. Nah, nah, nah. I'll take that deal when it's a great experience. They gave all the nuance to Adam Driver, all the nuance to Daisy Ridley. Everyone knows that I'm not exposing everything. Uh, that's, I, I, I cut out a little bit of the quote because it's fairly long. But um, yeah, and then he says a couple of other things like that about um, his experiences and his feeling like, 
that his character really was that promised to be to be something a lot more than it was, and that um, his frustration with that, especially around race. Uh, what was your take, kind of reading the interview and, and hearing the thoughts he was coming out with? I think that it is uh, something where we can't know the the full experience because we weren't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think being inside it, he has a lot more gravity to ascribe intentions to yeah. to the way that that this all fell out. And I think that it is hard to see a a story where the options of characters include you know, a black male lead, um, Oscar Isaac uh, and Kelly Marie Tran as characters that bring diversity to the cast, but then they're held at arm's length outside of the main storyline. Yeah. Um, and especially when I feel like in The Force Awakens, Finn was very central to what was going on. And although I don't think he was handled particularly well, he was one of the primary characters. In the trilogy, he has the most time other than Rey on screen. And that's mm. pretty significant. Yeah. You know, he, over the course of the three trilogies, he's behind you know, Luke, Han, Leia, Chewie, um, Anakin. Uh, but he is one of the primary characters. Even feeling kind of shifted to the side, he's still mm-hmm. central and he could have been a lot more. And as he says, you know, those more nuanced moments and where you're seeing a lot more conflict and the the characters that are really driving the story was never handed to him. He was yeah. very much someone who was driven by the story and taken along by other people's decisions. Yeah, I, I think that's really true, especially about the lack of agency. And one of the points that I think he brings up that um, is the role of which the expectations that, that were set up for the character. Um, I think, you know, as he kind of points out, he was mar- the especially with The Force Awakens, was marketed in a way that really let you think that he was going to be not only an important character, but, but frankly, that he was <clears throat> going to be our first look at um, a black Jedi, other than Mace Windu, who'd gotten, you know, some screen time, but we never really learned much about. Um, the first publicity poster, if I remember correctly, was of him holding a lightsaber. And He's, I the- believe, on the left-hand side holding a lightsaber. Uh, and in a lot of the promotional materials, he's uh, he's depicted holding a lightsaber, which he yeah. does use a couple of times during The Force Awakens. Right. Um, and what's tough here is because I think that it is a reasonable misdirect from mm-hmm. what they were trying to do, especially for Force Awakens. Once you start getting beyond that kind of you're you're more into we know somewhat of where the story is going. But I think that if you go through and you look at The Force Awakens promotional materials they specifically kept the lightsaber out of ray's hands right and so they wanted that moment to be a surprise and they wanted to have a lightsaber on the good side they Mm. wanted to have a light side force wielder character that you could look at during the promotional materials and so it it's something where i think that it's really rough that the way it fell out was that it was character of color who was put out front and given this uh this platform and then it feels like it was taken away yeah. um 
but I think that you can see stuff like this in Marvel trailers and in, in other trailers where the information that they give you is intentionally incomplete. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that the character shouldn't have been handled better than he was. Yeah, and I think that's a really good way to say it. I think <clears throat> having the misdirect makes a lot of sense, and I certainly feel like there's an unfortunate dialogue that we can often get into about, you know, is it more important to have a, a black Jedi or a woman Jedi? And I think, you know, we should have both. Like, that, that, that that's not what this is about in the slightest. Yeah, I don't think that's a, a binary choice. Yeah, exactly. But I think, as you said, and I think what Boyega is saying is that, you know, doing a misdirect is one thing, but doing a misdirect that says we might be adding to the Star Wars franchise something that we haven't really seen before, namely a, a character of color as a main character Jedi, um, and then misdirecting away from that, that that's where I think a lot of the frustration comes from, especially because I feel like, and I think this is one thing you really helped me see more, is that even if you had him go that he wasn't going to be a Jedi, but that he was going to be a very important part of the cast and the action for some other reason would have been great. But then instead we didn't get him that. Instead he became much more of a... He was often, as you said, kind of the, the one being driven along by the by the plot um, without really having, you know, it seemed like there were so many different parts of his character that could have been so interesting to dive more into. Like the, the stormtrooper who's changing his, you know, who's who's moving away from that. The, um, the, um, the, the tension between someone who wants to join the resistance or wants to help their friend. Um, all these would be interesting storylines, but they kind of gave us a little bit of everything without really diving deep on any of them to make the character feel more important. The other pieces that I think are, are most challenging when you are looking at it and trying to be happy with what they did is that you actually get a ton of shifting from a mainline character in Force Awakens with some comedic beats to someone who is often played just for comedy and their yeah. character and their understanding of the world and their knowledge level changes to fit that rather than the character remaining constant and finding those beats of comedy along the way. Um, there's a lot of times where Finn is presented as kind of a, an expert on first order tech, but then there'll be a time where he doesn't know how to find a spanner wrench. And so yeah. you're, you're presented with a character that has a ton of inconsistency and it's very clearly driven by we want a laugh line here or we want something funny to happen or we're trying to make him buddy buddy with Poe here uh, or have him, you know, be naive in this moment. We need a character to do this, so it's going to be Finn. And that's that's where I think it's most frustrating is that it doesn't feel like his character has a core and has a through line the way that many of the other characters do. I think that's a very good way to put it. And I think the comedic is one reason why it happens. I also think it happens depending on what they need the plot for. And to me, this is, I think, one of the biggest sins of the movie The Last Jedi, specifically, because one of the things that I think they set up as an interesting story, and here he gets to be kind of the Han Solo figure, is... Is, what is his motivation? You know, that, that in the first movie, his motivation is to get away. Mm -hmm. um, in part, they say, they kind of make it because of cowardice, but really it's because he's, he, he sees his friend die on, uh, at the beginning of The Force Awakens. They don't, they don't give that story. That story is simply not there, and it's, it, it's very frustrating because why does he leave is something that is left to some supplemental materials. 
Right. Um, there's a, a book before the awakening uh, that has parts about Finn and Ray and Poe. And in Finn's portion, it's talking about his training and kind of the end of his training with uh, the FN squad. And so the character that we see get killed uh, at the start of, um, of force awakens is uh, a character named slip. So it's a character mm-hmm. that Finn knows well, and it's not just a stormtrooper uh, who's who's dying. It's his friend who's dying, and so that emotional weight that right. could have been something that was brought to bear by having any of those pieces in the actual movie, but instead it just all gets glossed over, and we go hurtling forward without giving right. him a ground. Right, and I think that's what that, that's kind of what I'm getting at is because and in there, what we his first moment of rebellion seems to be when he refuses to fire at the unarmed villagers. So again, it could be that he's having a moral crisis. We don't know, but but my point is that you know throughout the course of the movie, he then becomes very attached to Ray, and now protecting Ray is very important to him. And so in the second movie, it it you have a very interesting situation, kind of similar to Han Solo's, but a little but a little bit different where. Everyone else wants to fight the re- in the rebellion or the resistance, and he only cares about protecting his friend because, in fairness, he's never signed up for the resistance. Mm-hmm. He just needed to get away, and he helped Poe. And so then we have that moment with Rose where what's portrayed is that he's running away because he's a coward. And I get that that's Rose's perspective, but I really wish we'd been given more of a chance for Finn to explain his side of things because I think there again— they want the plot to be about not deserting the fight, not giving up hope, but instead they just kind of make Finn in, into the deserter that Rose can lecture, when for him it's about, you know, at one point she accuses him of desertion, mm-hmm. which makes no sense to me because you have to sign up in the first place. Well, the other, the other piece that I think is really important there is that in that scene, Rose's response to Finn gives us the picture that he has become kind of a folk hero within the resistance and beyond because she actually indicates that he was one of the reasons that, that she signed up and that's a role that Finn is uncomfortable with. And you kind of see that in that moment and then it's completely dropped. And and so you have these really interesting things about Finn coming to this fight through his own personal, honestly, selfish reasons and winding up as something that is iconic and bigger than himself. And his discomfort with that is something that never really gets explored. And that's, I think, a really interesting point because this whole concept of the difference between mythology and folklore versus the real story is very much a theme of the entire movie because it's all about you know, Luke being concerned about the way, you know, the folklore and mythology that's built up around him and Kylo dealing with the folklore that he has about his grandfather, Anakin or Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, so it, it's I, I'm not a big fan of the whole Snyder cut idea in, in media these days, <laughs> um, but it does make me wonder if part of what happened here is that we we, we had written or maybe even shot a lot of footage in which Finn gets to play a much larger part. But that when it came time to cut things, Finn was often what was left on the cutting room floor. So there is um, a cut scene from The Last Jedi where they're on the supremacy 
uh, Rose and Finn and DJ and BB-8, and they're in a lift with a, a stormtrooper who actually is an FN stormtrooper and mm-hmm. recognizes Finn and talks to him. And uh, that interchange kind of plays into his kind of imposter syndrome. Uh, and, you know, he's literally an imposter in that situation. He's impersonating a first order officer. Uh, but that could be a very clear echo to the imposter syndrome that he feels about being somebody that is trusted and elevated in the resistance for things that he doesn't feel that he did for the resistance. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think that, that would have been a great story. And it sounds like that, that one scene would have added so much. Um, and I think it really speaks to, you know, I get scenes have to be cut, but, but that really feels like a, you know, if that's the scene that gets cut, part of what that's saying is it, it leaves the rest of Finn's story feeling disjointed, not making any sense. Mm-hmm. I So one of the biggest things that I see as a problem for Finn's story is that he doesn't have an antagonist. The closest yeah. thing is Phasma, and Phasma was the commanding officer of the FN troop that he was part of. Um, and you get to see Phasma introduced, and she obviously is all in for the first order. She uh, carries out the order to execute the villagers um, and then has the confrontation with Finn back on the Star Destroyer when he removes his helmet. And so you establish that there's already some level of a contentious relationship. Um, But then the next time that we see Phasma is on Starkiller base when they easily capture her and force her to lower the shields. There's no conflict. We don't see any back and forth other than you know phasma held at gunpoint while finn kind of yells at her and then drops her into a trash compactor um and that's not an arc now in between there uh finn actually fights against uh fn2199 uh again from the (laughs) the backup material before the awakening uh most people will know him as TR8TR because he yells traitor at Finn in the middle of the battle. And Mm. he fights with uh, the energy baton against Finn with the lightsaber. Right. And so if something very simple, if you take that and you turn that fight into a fight with Phasma that stalemates, you've created more of an arc. You create the initial conflict when he's part of, um, when he's part of the first order. And then if you could add something where you have some interaction with her following his desertion that, you know, maybe there's some consequence to her because of his desertion that gives her motivation. And then you come back and you have that conflict in the middle of force awakens at the taco Donna scene. And then you could have something that wraps that up at the end of, uh, Force Awakens at Starkiller Base. Now that yeah. gives you an arc, but because it's disjointed, because it's different characters, and because we skip any actual conflict around the the scene with Phasma at Starkiller, it it doesn't tie up. It's not clean. Um, and then in Last Jedi, Phasma comes back out of nowhere and is the one who captures uh, Finn, Rose, and DJ at the um the tracking beacon 
or whatever <laughs> what the MacGuffin is, yeah. Um, and then uh, Phasma is the one who's going to be executing, uh, not personally, but orders the execution of Rose and Finn. They're saved by the Holdo maneuver, and then when Finn wakes up, Phasma appears out of the smoke and then decides to drop her gun and fight Finn with a staff because reasons, I guess. Um, (laughs) And Phasma actually wins and knocks him down a shaft. But since it turns out to be an elevator, he rises up and hits her in the face once with the staff. And then the ground crumbles out from underneath her and she falls to her doom. Now it's important to note that in between knocking him down the staff, the shaft and him coming back up, she pulls out a gun and shoots at Rose. So she was just fighting him with a staff because she wanted to. And we do establish that her character, you know, likes those grandiose gestures. She in, you know, classic evil villain with a monologue, you know, variety (laughs) decides to try to kill the two of them. Execution by blaster is too good for them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I think, you know, I think what all that goes to is that um, Finn doesn't really get to have much agency there. Like when he finally, as you said, he, he wins the fight with Phasma. But there's no growth. There's no technique that he didn't have before that now he does. Mm. There's no him learning to to discipline himself and fight in a different way. It's just some circumstances. Well, he loses out, the fight. He gets in that's good... the part that's that's the most frustrating to me as I was watching this is he loses the fight and then he lucks out that he landed on an elevator. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's lucky circumstances. Usually, you don't. I, I guess in Star Wars, you get knocked down a bottom with shaft, and it's fine. You just come back. <laughs> but <laughs> I, if this was any other franchise, I feel like getting knocked down a shaft would probably uh, mean that you we, lost. We do the some have some established <laughs> history that that's not always the bottomless shaft that you think it is. I guess. So. Um, but um. <laughs> I think what this also gets to, though, is another um, – I, I think we kind of established some of the general concerns, and maybe we can now talk about some of the specific things. Uh, and I, I think one way to start that is by talking about some of the specific plot lines that I think were teased that, that we wish had gone further. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can talk about the movie, the specific movies. Because to me, one of them, and I think Phasma would have been the perfect antagonist foil for this, is the idea of the stormtrooper who um, you know leaves his post. Okay. Uh, I, I was reading an article about this that pointed out – that when he takes his helmet off is the first time in any Star Wars movie that's ever been made that we see what's under a stormtrooper's helmet. Yep. Um, we never see the people who Han and Luke take the uniforms from. Um, we see the clones, but the clones are very different than the stormtroopers. Um, and that's made very clear. Do we see it, clones with their helmets off in the actual movies? I think we yeah, see we do it. a couple of times. Uh, mostly Commander, mostly just Commander Cody, I think. Um, but we see him without it, I believe. I think we uh, see that in Clone Wars. I don't think we oh, see no, you it may be in, right. yeah. in the movies. I believe every clone was actually digitally made. Yeah. And so I don't think we had any. We've seen Django. Even more so than him taking his helmet off in that moment really means a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's really, I was thinking that we were going to get this much more humanized story. Um, especially one thing, it was just a small little moment, but it was something I loved in the first movie. Um, there's a scene where that, uh, the first order ship carrying the, the troopers is going down to the planet and it's like, 
you know, it flashes darkness and light inside there, and it, it just feels like very, you know, like war movie. It's scary. Normandy. Yeah, like in a way that tells me it, it is a direct look, like not shot for shot recreation, but like that's the boats driving up to the shore on Normandy from yeah. Saving Private Ryan. Down to the way that the the boats open, the, sh- the starship yep. open, and they're shaking back up. and forth, and you have the shot of like from the center where you've got lines going of of soldiers going down either side of your shot. Yeah, it, like right. they're shot as heroes in the, in the start of the movie. Yeah, and, well, they're shot as heroes, but they're also shot as like, look, that this is a scary thing they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's my point is, so it gives us this opportunity to say we're going to humanize the stormtroopers. Not a way to justify them, but to show why one of them would break away and what are the conflicts involved there. Um, and as you said, that storyline really gets kind of dropped. And I think where this is, and, and as you said, I think uh, really well, it's then like, you know, was he a stormtrooper or was he a janitor? And does he know lots of things or does he know nothing? There, there's no consistency. Yeah. But where it really, really comes up, I think, is in the last movie, because here again, we get teased this wonderful opportunity he meets up with other stormtroopers who've left. Yep. And you were talking before about the mythology. Like, all you had to do was add a couple of lines about how they left because they had, like, the stormtroopers have been whispering about FN 6, you know, whatever the numbers were, (laughs) the one who left, and that that inspired others. Like, there's so much you could have done with Finn coming to realize that others have left for the same reasons that he did, and that maybe they're signed up more than he was, and so he's joining them, or, like, there's so much you could have done with that, and they just really gave him someone to sort of maybe flirt with a little bit while he rescues people on the ship. Well, the other thing that they do there is that actually is part of a plot line about Finn being Force-sensitive, which, I, like, I tried to highlight all of the all of the evidence for that, because the, yep. the creators I- actually have confirmed that it's it's the case. And we'll, we'll definitely get to that. That's the next. That's the next big thing of his plotline. But that I want to get to. But it doesn't show up until the third movie. There's no evidence for it until the third movie, and, and so that opportunity for bonding with another stormtrooper who chose to leave is undercut by saying it wasn't a decision. Really, it was an instinct, a feeling. Yeah. Which, again, this is Finn doing something important to his life without any autonomy, without any self-realization. He's yeah. he's doing something not because of reasons that he has thought out or because of things that are important to him. He's doing it because of this vague feeling. And that just is, it's a recurring theme that he is not the author of his story. Yeah. He's not the author of a story and he doesn't get to see the results of his actions. Um, And I just think there could have been so many interesting ways of playing that dynamic with him and the other stormtroopers that you're right when it just becomes this this hand wavy feeling because and and we'll we'll get to this in a minute. I don't want to go too too deep down this road right now. But when they just say the vague things like a feeling, you're right. It could be the force. It could also just be, you know, like there have been major decisions that I've made in my life because something just felt wrong mm-hmm. and I couldn't put my, my finger on it, but it just felt like it felt uncomfortable. It felt morally incorrect. But, it felt like something I didn't but none of do. those have been about being ordered to kill people. 
Right. No, for sure. <laughs> and so, like, we're, we're dealing with a very stark moral choice here that is not actually hard to make. You have mm-hmm. a situation where it's breaking with training and it's breaking with indoctrination, but it is not a hard moral choice that once you make it, once you make it, you should be able to identify why it was that yeah. you made that choice. That's a good point. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I just felt that killing all these people was wrong. Oh, well, yeah. good. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> well, and like you said, because even there, it's, is the feeling that I didn't feel right shooting these innocent people, is the feeling that I, you know, saw my friend die and I felt really bad about that and didn't want to be a part of that? Is it just a rank, you know, if my friend could die, I could die. Uh, and I didn't want to put my life at risk. Like, all of those are legitimate perspectives. I think the first is maybe the the one with the highest moral character, but they're all legitimate perspectives. Mm-hmm. But we never get, we never really have that explained for Finn or for uh, J- Jana. Is that her name? Jana. The, Jana. I'm so bad with names. <laughs> um, but in that, or for Jana, the the new head of the, um, you know, the leader of this group of former stormtroopers. In any way, it's just, you know, and in part, I think it's because I do love science fiction that explores issues that are relevant to our own world, mm-hmm. and. One of the things that they established with Finn is that he's basically a, you know, he's an infant soldier. Yep. He was captured by the Empire or the First Order, raised from a very little child to be this, you know, all they think about is fighting. Yep. It, and it, it's child soldiers in war. And yeah. they dodge that all throughout the whole thing. They They put the information in front of us that these are children who are kidnapped or taken from their from their homes and trained yeah. from birth as, as Huck says, it's at one point um, to be soldiers, but what, somehow we just out... skip all of that. And we try to pretend that these are fully realized adults when you can't be, yeah. if that's how you're raised. And, and I think that raises a really interesting moral question that I think is what you're leaning towards, which is, you know, I, I've talked in, in previous episodes of superhero ethics about how, when a filmmaker wants you to cheer for the good guys as they slaughter the bad guys, one thing they have to do is to remove any moral value from the bad guys. Mm-hmm. So if they're aliens or if they're, you know, robots. terrorists or n- Nazis, robots. Sorry, Mel And often that's, very, yeah, often that's very racially coded. Often it's, you know, different things. But that's certainly in the Star Wars universe, one of the effects of them, first of all, being stormtroopers, mm-hmm. which is clearly a Nazi reference, um, especially when it was started in the 70s. But also just like dehumanized, we only see their suits, we, only, we never see a, a face, it's very easy to see them killed by the hundreds and thousands. Yep. But if now we start to think, yeah, I, I didn't even realize this till you made this point, but I think it's so true. If they had let us go further into Finn's story and realizing that every one of the stormtroopers has been conditioned from birth in really horribly abusive ways, now we have to start morally questioning how we feel about watching them get killed. Well, that brings... Um, to one of the things that that bothers me a lot is I'm not going to shoot these villagers, but the next time that I have an opportunity, I'm going to shoot people that I was trained with and I'm not going to have any problem whatsoever. And so Finn kills a ton of stormtroopers and there's no one in, in the movie who should understand more that those are people than Finn and it never comes up again. And like, it, it can be a, um, you know, it doesn't have. It's not that I think that he wouldn't kill them. I think there's still a good self-defense argument, or like they're doing terrible things. But you're right. There should be, you know, there should be a moment where he, 
him and Poe, like Poe is cheering the battle and Finn is saying like, yeah, we won, but I had to kill all my friends or, you know, like, some sort of moment like that. Those are people I too. Think, yeah. <laughs> I think, um, you know, the this, these part of the Star Wars movies were really not ready for that kind of moral complexity. And that's just frustrating because by introducing this idea of Finn as the former stormtrooper, you're opening so many of those moral doors mm -hmm. and they just don't go through them, which it makes him even more of a wasted character. Yeah, they they happily stand outside them with anybody who is willing to take a minute to think about it, seeing through those doors into, oh, wait, but that means... And, right. and they just don't want to hear that. They just want to keep going with, you know, okay, we're going to blow things up and, you know, we've got to show that Chewie's bowcaster is is super powerful so that you understand that Kylo shouldn't even be alive at the end of Force Awakens. Um, right. But it's, yeah, it's, it's really tough to, to see all of those possibilities and they just zoom into this narrow road and they keep Finn on a path without him really picking it. Yeah. So let's now talk about the thing you were trying to bring up. Um, Finn is possibly force sensitive. Mm -hmm. Um, because because I think I think you make a really good case. Um, uh, so why don't you um, kind of lay out your thoughts on this about what what do you think the argument is for force Finn being force sensitive, and why the way the story handled it is not the best. So it, it's not on screen. There there is no point at which this is confirmed on screen. There's no point at which he grabs a lightsaber from across the room. He doesn't pick up a broom from two feet away. Um, right. But uh, the the creators have confirmed that Finn is force sensitive. Um, and so there's, it's apparently what he was trying to tell Ray about. And that's a whole ongoing thing that never gets resolved where mm -hmm. they're sinking in the sand. And he says, Ray, I never told you Ray. And then goes under. Uh, and then in the tunnels beneath, he says, I'll tell you later. There's follow up with Poe where Poe asks about, uh, you know, what he was going to tell Ray while they're about to be executed. Um, and apparently what he was going to tell Ray was that he could feel the force. Um, and you also have the interaction with Jana where he talks about it wasn't a decision really, but it was an instinct feeling. And then yeah. he says that the force brought him there and to Ray and to Poe. Um, and he, he also uses the I feel it uh, argument for why they should attack the Star Destroyer with the navigation. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, then there's a very clear shot of him feeling Ray dying uh, in the end of The Rise of Skywalker. And yeah. we've had other shots of Ben when Alderaan is destroyed or when... Um, uh, Luke reaches out to Leia in Empire. We have a number of shots that this echoes where it's clear that the person is feeling the yep. the action that is happening somewhere else or the feeling from someone else. And so uh, while it's not never confirmed in the I'm going to pull this lightsaber from across the room sort of way, uh, it's it's very clearly shadowed through the rise of Skywalker problem is there's nothing at all about it in the first two yeah. movies. And, and I think one of the, the most frustrating parts of this is I don't even know if we need the pull the lightsaber from across the room thing, because I think one thing that's been established in other parts of the canon, most especially in the movie rogue one is the idea that a person can be 
force sensitive enough to get those feelings and to maybe like be able to dodge attacks and stuff like that without full on having force powers. And that the idea of using the force can be a much bigger spectrum than we've previously been led to believe. Yeah, but that's um, way deeper than this. these movies were going. <laughs> well, and I, I think that it's way deeper. I also think, though, that here is where Finn is one of the biggest victims of, and again, not getting to whose fault it was, but the inconsistencies between the different movies. Mm-hmm. Because it does feel like, in The Last Jedi at least, one of the points they're really working towards is this idea that you know Luke specifically says the Jedi don't have a monopoly on the Force, mm-hmm. you know, and the idea that many people can feel the Force in many different ways, and that the Force can be used, you know, to differing levels. And some people might be more powerful in it than others, and some people it might just be a feeling, and others can, you know, move mountains or, or pull lightsabers out of rocks, whatever it is. <laughs> but that it's a broad spectrum. Yep. And then when we get to uh, Rise of Skywalker, now. Not only are we really narrowing the focus of the use of the, of the use of the force again, but we're back to making it somewhat genetic. Yep. You know, and there's this big thing about how, you know, that that for Rey to be so powerful, it's because she comes from this very powerful, you know, line through Palpatine, or, or you know, and that Kylo, it's because he's the descendant of Leia, and and I feel like that's I I don't know if that's part of why that that part of Finn's story gets gets lost. But it does feel like that maybe that's why they never confirm it, because that goes so against everything else they're saying about the Well, the interesting part of that is they never needed to make, like, it wasn't there for the first two movies. And so if you're trying to focus back in, having Finn be Force-sensitive is outside of, of that track. If you're saying, essentially, the Force has come together and it is only in this dyad, in terms of the power right now, um, mm-hmm. then having Finn as a force sensitive kind of breaks that. Um, and if you were trying to break that great, but do it. Uh, yeah. And so uh, it's, it's not like it was seated in for two and they couldn't figure out how to resolve it. It just wasn't there for the first two. And then is, you know, suddenly, okay, Finn is feeling things now. Well, I, I think I mostly agree with you there. Except for the fact that he is fairly effective at using a lightsaber, because it's never specifically said in the movie and t- in the movie canon, but certainly in some of the TV shows, they establish the idea that some degree of force sensitivity is needed to use a lightsaber. Um, and even if you ignore all that and just go by the movies, I feel like the fact that up till that point, we have never seen a non-force user use a lightsaber effectively. We see Han use it to cut open a, a tauntaun, yeah. but he's clearly very clumsy with it and doesn't really know what he's doing. I, I feel like even that is a – again, it's a, it, maybe it's just a misdirect, but I, given gonna, the established – I'm going to argue movie, the other side of this one. Uh, and go this goes... Let me finish the thought, which is just that yeah. I would say that in the established canon of the movies, watching someone effectively use a lightsaber in battle is reason at least to think that the possibility of them being Force-sensitive is a very real possibility. So go ahead. What's, yeah. what's the counterpoint? So my counterpoint is, if we're accepting that Finn is a trained stormtrooper, he is trained in hand-to-hand combat. And so if you hand me a sword, and I have very, very light training with, with, with swords, I, I could do something with it. Now, the two times we see him fight, he fights against uh, FN2199, 
uh, and loses. And then Mm -hmm. we see him fight against Kylo at the end where Kylo is grievously injured from being shot with a bowcaster and basically toys with him the whole time until he gets uh, Kylo gets hit with a basically what amounts to a lucky blow. And right. after following that Kylo immediately disarms him in one move and then strikes a crippling blow that leaves him bleeding in the snow. Like right. he's not holding his own against Kylo the way that some people have characterized that fight. If you watch that fight, Kylo is absolutely playing him the whole time. Mm-hmm. And the fight against uh, FN two one nine nine on Takodana, he does okay, but he's very rough and he's not using it in any sort of finesse way. He's just using it as if it was a big stick or a big sword. I I fully agree with all that, and I do think um, I mean one thing I actually thought coming out of that movie was that we had never seen um, stormtroopers use these kind of energy blades before. And I remember thinking, oh, they only did that to explain why Finn has any idea how to use a lightsaber to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and here again, this more comes from the, the show canon and the book canon, that it was established that a lightsaber, because it doesn't have the weight of an actual sword, that you need some kind of force awareness to be able to compensate for that. Um, and again, that, that's diving into stuff that is kind of pseudo-canon, and that's fine. My only point is that I think that your average fan, and I think I even include myself in this, could see him using the for- could see him using the lightsaber and think they're at least raising the possibility that he's force sensitive. Yeah, um, and and, and, and honestly, all that was... was part of the misdirect for the advertising. Yeah, and, I think that's true. And so, like, you have him as a uh, holding the lightsaber, and yes, what you're what you're trying to convey to people visually is this is going to be our force sensitive character, and that's one of the things that he objected to was being basically given that mantle in the advertising and then having it pulled away. And right. you can understand why you misdirect, but it still is a, a vast disservice to to Finn. Agreed. Yeah. And I, I think there could have been ways to still tell the story where Rey is your Luke Skywalker character and she is the primary like Jedi stand-in who's going to have the great lightsaber battle, but still, you know acknowledge one way or the other which way Finn is going in terms of is he force sensitive but not quite a Jedi like maybe he is part of some of the initial training with Luke and he sort of stands as a great contrast to how Rey is much more you know possibly turning to the dark side or something like that there's just so many ways you could have gone with this character well the other the other character that you have from the original trilogy who would echo kind of the level of power with the force that you're talking about is Leia where we see yeah. glimpses of it. We see moments of it where Leia connects with Luke or Leia understands something before it's said. And you know, you could have those types of interactions between Finn and Ray, and they're just not there. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. Um, and it gets to the other thing that I think is a, is a big part of the misdirect and the frustration that they have with his character, which is... Um, is he going? To, who is he going to be romantically paired with? Um, and I think this topic and in general like is kind of frustrating. And like every other thing that they do with Finn, at some point they just throw their hands up yeah, in the air and don't mi- do anything. <laughs> there, there's misdirects all the time. And I, and I bring that up in relation to this because I think 
the way that it is framed in terms of his only real interest is getting back to Ray and making sure she's okay. And then all through that third movie, he has a very strong, he has this continued idea of, I need to tell Ray something. I can't say it in front of Poe. It has to be with us alone. It has to be, you know, this big important thing I have to say before we maybe die. I, I mean, that, I think they're very clearly setting it up as a misdirect for, I have feelings for you. I'm romantically interested in you, whatever it is. And you're right that Abrams has said, although reports have said is that he, he may have been kind of a little bit equivocating about it, but that it's most likely that what Finn meant was I'm force sensitive. Mm -hmm. But I think they very clearly set that up as a romantic misdirect, which to me is frustrating because it feels like throughout the entire series, as you said, they didn't know what they wanted to do with him. But I feel like the main thing is they knew what they didn't want to do with him. Um, and so what I mean by that is it feels like a lot of the choices they made for him were about avoiding other things that they wanted to show weren't happening. Sure. And um, I think the the potential romance he has with Rose, I think, is very interesting in and of itself and could be well developed. But it's problematic because in the first episode, it seems so much like him and Ray are going in that direction. And I, I feel like it was sort of a you gave us a good story, but you did it as a way to clear space for Ray and Kylo, which is problematic. But then in the third in the third one, I there was a part of me that wondered, are you both letting us feel like Finn's very interested in Ray, and later thinking that maybe Finn and Janna are having a flirtation because you want to kill all the ideas of Finn and Poe, which by that point had become so big in fandom. Yeah. So what's interesting to me is I actually I have no major issues with the the kind of infatuation with Ray to begin with. Uh, in mm -hmm. Force Awakens, I think that it's a fairly natural progression of here's this person that I interact with who seems to be awesome and right. who saves my life and I help her and we're like we're we're together and protecting each other and that naturally is going to lead to some amount of connection. Um, and so I liked when that transitioned. I thought that it transitioned more clearly away from being romantic to being platonic uh, mm -hmm. through kind of the end of uh, Force Awakens and into The Last Jedi. And then I think they just had no idea what they were doing in, in The Rise of Skywalker around all of that. Yeah. Um, I think that the connection between Finn and Poe is palpable the whole time. And, mm -hmm. you know, whether that is we're best friends or whether it is more is, is something that they it clearly intentionally leaned away from. Um, but they're going back and forth and they're having some of the similar watching out for each other, taking care of each other, saving each other types of things that he had with Ray in the first movie. Um, and so you see, I'm not as concerned with, Oh, this character is interested in Ray because I think that that was a natural place for that character to be after mm -hmm. force awakens. And I didn't see as much of that continue as it sounds like you did. I guess what I'm feeling is that it, and I'm trying not to be overly cynical about it, but it feels like, and from things that Boyega has said and that uh, Kellyanne Tran has said, and that others have said that like, I think you're right. There's a Finn. I mean, Finn's never, probably met he's met women before clearly but i, I think he's not you know, like that he hasn't had, he hasn't had sex yet <laughs> to be, yeah. he's never seen a teen romance movie <laughs> you know he's not been socialized to think in those terms 
And so, yeah, him being confused about what he's feeling for Ray and Poe and anyone else is an interesting storyline. But I feel like you could have given us this storyline of a person entering into this world where romance is one of many feelings you can feel and being totally unprepared for it. Mm -hmm. And maybe bouncing around a bit is a great story to tell. It feels like that what they did with Finn romantically had more to do with it being a plot device and him opening up space for other characters or them trying to not make you think he was going in one way or make you think he was going another way. I guess that's what I mean is it feels like it wasn't a story about where Finn would wind up being with his feelings as much as it was. What do we need to either get the plot in a new direction or to shut up a particular group of critics from one direction or another? Yeah. And jumping back to Finn and Rose, I actually have some concerns if that had progressed more. Um, because it started off so much as a, a, a disparity in power with Finn mm-hmm. being the, the hero, quote unquote. Yeah. And so if that had progressed into something that was uh, that was a developed relationship, I that would have felt a little bit off to me. Uh, and I yeah. I don't know. I never liked that that pushed where it did. And and honestly, uh near the end of the last jedi where rose crashes into finn to stop him from from uh smashing his speeder into the battering ram cannon one of the laziest names that i've ever heard um <laughs> and then delivers the kind of overarching idea of the movie you don't win by fighting what you hate. You win by saving what you love. And then somehow teleporting back to the base across <laughs> a barren saltscape of crate that is being blown to pieces as Kylo Ren goes crazy and tries to destroy Luke Skywalker. Like it's, it's one of the weakest pieces in the movie to my, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. it, it just is another time where Finn tries to take an action that he's deciding to do and is yeah. is literally smashed aside by another character doing something that that overrules him. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think that I think I understand how they get back better than you do, but certainly he was so far ahead of Rose that how she catches up to smash into him, I've never quite understood. Oh, well, f- um, physics, not but, so but much even, a thing in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, but, but even even putting that aside, um, yeah, it does feel like it would have meant so much more if if she talks him out of it. If he, you know, even though a part of me was like, yeah, I think the suicide runs probably the right move here. I, I'm not sure I, I agree with the strategy against it, but but even if if the idea, the conceit is that it won't work by definition. He would have had so much more agency if he had been able to change his mind instead of her just stopping him. Uh, but the other part of it, and I think there I really agree with you, is the power imbalance in them being a problematic in a relationship. Yeah, a, a someone dating their fan is generally a, a poor beginning of a relationship because of the power imbalance. Yeah. And, and so if in the third movie, if we just had one line to acknowledge that, you know, if we just had him post saying, like, whatever happened with you and Rose, and him saying, like, you know, I... I a legend should never date their fan or, you know, something to indicate that we're not forgetting about it. Um, But instead Rose just had almost no screen time whatsoever. And other than like maybe a look uh, towards him and Jana, 
no acknowledgement of what they'd shared in the second movie. And it just, like you said, it felt like one more time where they just kind of threw their hands up and said, we're not going to figure this yeah. out. Yeah. And, you know, there's a little bit between him and Janna, which if they had grounded that in where both stormtroopers who left and and developed it a bit, I think that there could be something there. But they also then chose to have Janna's final moment be with Lando. And it feels like the characters that Janna gets to interact with are the black ones, which was mm -hmm. really a little bit eh to me. Yeah. And, and similarly there, and I, I don't know if this did or didn't play a role in the decision-making, but I know that um, what there was as much as I love star Wars fandom, um, I was much, I, yeah, as much as I love both star Wars and the star Wars fandom, I think these movies and especially in, John Boyega talks about this in his comments, really exposed just how toxic a large part of that fandom can be. Absolutely. And I do know that one of the things that they were toxic about was people hating the idea of an interracial relationship between Ray and Finn. And I hope this wasn't the case, but I remember when, <clears throat> when Finn and Rose was a thing in the second movie. There were people of color analysts who were talking about, this is a great relationship, but is this because... They wanted to shy away from Finn and Ray because of the critique that it got. Yeah, and 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 is that the case? Is it not? I don't know, but I feel like by leaving so much so unsaid about the Finn character, it, it leaves you open to wondering that in ways that I think with both uh, Rose and Janna are really unfortunate because those were interesting characters that could have been great relationships, but you have to wonder why they're coming about. Well, I mean, the other piece is at some point you run out of screen time, and. Yeah. You know, one of the yeah, things that I noticed watching these over the past week is that they're all in the two and a half plus hour range. <laughs> and, you know, it is it is a lot of movie and we still don't get what we want to for the background of, of Finn. And I think part of that yeah. is actually about Poe, because we didn't expect mm -hmm. Poe to be part of this. He was actually supposed to uh, die in the crash and that was supposed to be it. But Oscar Isaac was so great and uh, they enjoyed his character so much that they kind of brought him back in and you wound up with basically an extra character to service through the trilogy. Yeah. I, I think that actually makes a lot of sense because I, I know you pointed out a couple times as we were talking before this that there are times when Finn and Poe seem to be playing a similar role in the plot. Yep. <clears throat> and it means both of them get, you know, and especially because in uh, Rise of Skywalker, out of nowhere, we get this Poe storyline, uh, romantic storyline. Yeah. Which, again, it's, <clears throat> again, it could be a really interesting story. It, it makes me wonder, is this one more way of Disney going, nope, Finn and Poe, good heterosexual men, they don't certainly like each other. Um, you know, am I being overly cynical about that? Of course. But it's, as these stories are coming out about the ways in which some of that decision making was a, was a factor at Disney, it, it, the way that there are just so many storylines that are underserviced, it, you, you're just left wondering. Yeah, and I mean, so this the scene, or I guess the the chunk at Canto Bite, was originally scripted as Finn and Poe, and mm. Rose was actually kind of that character was created because they wanted to switch it out with somebody who was more of a contrast to Finn. Because right. Finn and Poe are too in line on what they want to do. And so they didn't create a, an interesting back and forth. Now, I'm going to argue that I think that 
neither did Rose and Finn. I think that that whole scene had ideas it wanted to go through and I nowhere on it. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, yeah, I think I'm higher on that scene than you are, but certainly I think one of the great things about a scene like that or any, a dynamic when you have a relationship between contrasts is that they should teach each other. Mm And that they should each, to some extent, help the others see the limits of their perception and their limits of their situation and see the world through different eyes. So that doesn't happen because Finn doesn't add anything. It's it's Finn coming in as a, a wide-eyed, everything-is-wonderful guy and, and Rose being the everything-is-actually-terrible-look-closer person. And then Finn looks closer and everything's terrible. And there's there's nothing going back and forth. But right, that's my whole point. Is Rose teaches him; he doesn't teach her in yeah. any way. There's nothing that she learns from him. The other piece that 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 is a perfect example of is that Finn becomes an idiot whenever it's convenient to the plot. Yeah, and the number of terrible decisions that have to happen along the way to make that scene and that that plot line move forward is just unreal. From parking on the beach when you're told not to, to running around with a in the casino with a gun shouting about things, to when you escaped the cell block leaving the sewer grate open. It's yeah. just like it is thing after thing after thing after thing where a character that I would like to think is competent, like he's one of our main characters, he's made it this far, is taking action after action after action that is dumb for lack of a better yeah. term. And no, I, I, I think, I think that's really fair. And I think it's, it, it's just again showing where he becomes the, the service of the plot point instead of actually having a, a well-developed character who makes decisions because that's what the character would do. And Finn, I think suffers from this the most. I think there's some amount of, of pain that is spread over the whole cast through these three movies. But mm-hmm. Finn is really the one who you look at from time to time and you're like, how does somebody who has this background do this? Yeah. I mean, just, you know, if, if nothing else, like, I have never been in the military myself, but I certainly have spoken with many who have. And I've, I've, I've read a good deal about it and done some studies and the like. And I'm, I know that everybody who wears a uniform you know, is trained with a gun and is able to fight when when fighting is necessary. You know, mm-hmm. like my dad, my dad was in the military during Vietnam, but he was he has le- he had legal training. Mm-hmm. So he was the you know, he participated in JAG courts, yep. but he went through basic training. He could fire a gun if he needed to. And if his base was ever attacked, he was expected to pick up a gun and fight back. But when you were sending assault ships to a planet, he wasn't going to be one of the ones who was on that assault yep. ship. So how does a janitor wind up on the assault ship? Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it's it's one of the many inconsistencies that I think they never just sat down and said, here's who Finn character, here's who Finn's character is. Let's now plot him through these movies and decide what would that character do. Instead, it's just, and I, I think this is why Boyega, I think, was rightly very upset and why a lot of us look to it as just this great wasted opportunity because... You know, I think this is what you, the conversation with you really helped me bring into focus, that of all the things that suffered because of the lack of consistency across these three movies, Finn's, probably, Finn's character is probably one of the worst. Yeah. And so let's talk for a minute about what could have been. 
because you just brought up the janitor thing and there's a couple times where it's brought up that he's a janitor you know we talk about it on star killer base we talk about it when um he is on the supremacy and uh he talks about how he knows where things are because he used to clean it um if that was the direction they wanted to go with the character, then I think you actually could have had him be kind of a janitor who pretended to be a stormtrooper to break Poe out and escape. Mm-hmm. And you could play up the imposter situation and that he's pretending to be this thing in order to get to this next step. And then he gets caught by, by Ray and, and gets hurtled into pretending to be part of the resistance. And he's just, building lie upon lie until it all falls down and you could play that up and you could have part of what's kind of giving him away that he doesn't know weaponry and he doesn't know yeah tactics and that he can't really fight and and that actually opens two very big doors or at least it, it addresses two very big issues one is it might allow you to draw some separation between the grunt workers in the first order and the actual soldiers. Mm -hmm. And so now there might be a question of that. That's why we can humanize someone in the first order without, and still be okay killing the stormtroopers. Cause maybe like you have to volunteer to be a stormtrooper. Like there's some way you could address that ethical divide. You can create more of a separation. But the other thing is, even if we establish that stormtroopers are pretty good with, you know, melee bladed weapons, but he's not. So now maybe you have a situation where people see him use the lightsaber and go, oh, he's a former stormtrooper, of course. But Ray knows he's a janitor, and Ray's like, Finn, how did you know how to do that? And he says, it just felt right to me. Yep. And now, with just those two lines, we've established he's Force-sensitive in some way. Yeah. Um, now, the other, the other piece that I think this does that's really useful to this trilogy in particular is it creates more separation between Finn and Poe. Because right yeah. now... Both Finn and Poe are soldiers, and that in that informs their mentality, that informs how they attack situations, that informs how their characters interact with the world, and it draws them together right now. And if he was the janitor who was pretending, then it creates a very different feel for that character that mm-hmm. would be more of a contrast, and you wouldn't have those problems where you try and put Finn and Poe together and you wind up with just two bantering buddies, which is fun. Yeah. Like, I think some of that stuff is actually some of the most enjoyable stuff in the movies. But it doesn't help move you forward in the way that a character that gives you contrast would. I think that's a really good point, especially because, and I think it's part of why Rise of Skywalker suddenly caring about Poe's background bothered me a little bit. Because, as you said, Storm screen time is limited and I'm sort of like, why not resolve the issues you already raised? Because Poe makes sense if he's just, you know, he's been a lifelong rebellion guy. He fought, he, he was part of the new Republic. He, you know, followed Leia. And we already have this storyline about him being, you know, a little bit of an arrogant flyboy who just wants to blow things up and has to kind of learn to temper that. Well, he's very That's much great... the, when your only tool is a hammer, everything's a nail. Exactly. And, and that's a great storyline. And we do get some some resolution of that storyline. But then, and, and again, that can be a really interesting dynamic between him and Finn because now Finn is the person who's questioning the worldview he always has and Poe isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But then when we find out that Poe used to be a spice runner and that Poe had this romance with this girl from back in the day who he kind of wants to get with again, like it, it muddies Poe's character in a way that could be more interesting if they developed it more. But instead, it's just kind of like throwing some complexity out there just to do it. And now, as you said, kind of also dulls the comparison between him and Finn. Yeah. Because um, it just... Yeah, and knowing what you said, that they never really intended for Poe to be so big, but that Oscar Isaacs was such a great actor. And I and I, do, I think you're right. I think Poe is a fantastic part of the story. Um, and I love his arc in Last Jedi, even though that's that's controversial. Um, but yeah, it just... It, it didn't seem like there was room in the movie for what they wanted to do with Poe and what they wanted to do with Finn. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing is, if they want him to be a stormtrooper, then I think they needed to lean into it more. Like, yeah. he, there's a number of times that they actually do fairly well kind of leaning into he knows First Order tech and he knows First Order weaponry. Um, but I think they also then needed to play up what he's missing because mm-hmm. being a stormtrooper and be, having that be all of your life. I think that that needs to mean that you have things that are left out and yeah. what, what are the competencies or the um, emotional impacts of that being what you've been for your entire life? And how does that impact how you interact with everybody now? And they, they just don't go there at all. And having the janitor stuff feels very plot contrivy to, to get around things. And then once you've done it, you just kind of have it there that you throw back to it a couple times, but it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense with what they're trying to do. I think that's a very good point. I think especially because kind of like what you said about him being an idiot when he needs to be, I think the same thing is true with him socially. That when it is either an important character beat or just can be played for laughs, then all of a sudden he's the complete social uh, neophyte who's no idea, excuse me, who has no idea how to interact with other people. But they don't actually develop it as a real character trait and they don't show him having any growth. Yeah, it just shows up every once in a while when they think it'd be funny. And if that was instead something that recurred and that was fairly consistent for him and that he improved on or that somebody else commented on hey i guess you know how to use a fork now or like it doesn't need to be anything that clear but like if there was progress where it was clear that he's no longer a stormtrooper like he was a stormtrooper who left and then as soon as he left he was no longer a stormtrooper and mm-hmm. you cease to see him as that thing. And it should have been clear almost all the time that he was a stormtrooper, whether that's how he was standing or how he was interacting with people, whether he always called people sir or whatever it was, there should have been some ticks that kept hooking yeah. you back to this is a stormtrooper who's mm-hmm. trying to move on who's trying to get away and what progress has he made and that should have been something that remained central to his character as the movies progressed and you could have had that with just a few short moments like one i'm thinking of that could have been so interesting was and again just a line or two when poe first starts to discuss going against you know admiral holdo's orders Mm -hmm. for finn to have a moment of just like 
wait, but she's your admiral. How can you disobey? Yeah, what do you mean you know, against just, orders? <laughs> yeah, just that, and, and that for him to have that moment of like, I I could question Phasma's orders because I got to the point where Phasma's ordering me to do terrible things. Mm-hmm. Holdo isn't. So just any kind of that moment. Well, you could play another, that the another, other way too, where every time that he's given orders, he is just terrified of following them. That that yeah. now that he is no longer a stormtrooper, he doesn't want to take orders from anyone. Like you could take it and play it in different directions, but yeah, you, you got to make a choice. It. In the same way, you could have had just one or two moments. Like let's say if. In the first movie, or even more so in the second movie, when he's trying to get away, you know, with from Phasma or something, what if there's a moment where another stormtrooper catches him and should be the one to shoot him, but it's some stormtrooper who recognizes him, and and ha- and now the stormtrooper has a moment of sympathy for Finn and misses the shot or lets Finn get away in some way. Yeah. Now we've established not only does Finn still have the connection, but now we clearly see Finn plant the seed of possible rebellion in another stormtrooper and now that makes Jana make much more sense mm-hmm. in the third movie and, you know and it shows that Finn had real agency that his act of personal rebellion helped spark things for others even if he didn't intend yeah it. if and if you're going to do that then you can you could see that early in the first movie and have it come back somewhere in the second movie and then by the third movie you could have you know some number of of resistance fighters who were former stormtroopers you could have had him be a driving force rather than just an auxiliary piece. Yeah. One thing also this reminds me of that it doesn't quite fit into any of this, but I think it's just an important point. One thing I realized that they have Finn do throughout the three movies, he's basically a cheerleader. Oh, every time someone else gets to do something cool, he's the one going like, yeah, look at that ship go. I hate that. You know, what a great pilot, you know? Um, and it, it definitely felt it, – it rubbed me the wrong way because he doesn't get to do much of his own. And it also just really – to me, it really underlines the idea that he's been relegated to an, to an auxiliary character and that he's literally just cheering on the victories of other people. Yeah. The times that we're hearing Finn talk are quite often when he's giving information about something First Order, uh, whether that's the battering ram cannon whether that's where he picks out that they um, that on Exegol they're going to need to have a navigation tower or whatever MacGuffin it was. Um, and Or when he's being excited about someone else doing something else. Mm-hmm. And you know those are that's a that's a weird dichotomy. Yeah. I think I think that's it, it. Should again further shows that they just didn't know what to do with the character. Yeah. Um, so we've covered a lot of what we wanted to talk about. Originally, we were planning to go through each one of the movies, but I think we've hit a lot of those points. But maybe I can just say, like, is there one or two points from each of the movies that you wanna that you wanted to highlight that we didn't get to talk about, or have we covered most? I of it? I think we've touched on a bunch of stuff. I do think that one of the things that we talked about with Finn lacking autonomy is and mm-hmm. having decisions that are made for him or by circumstances. Um, he, you know, when, even when he escapes, Poe's flying and heads back to Jakku. And then BB-8 identifies him by the jacket and Ray attacks him. And Ray is the one who suggests, are you with the resistance? And 
he latches onto that. So it's not even his story about what's going on. They're then captured yeah. by Han and Chewie. They're taken to Takodana. He has not made any choice as to what he's going to do. When he's on Takodana, he tries to kind of opt out and escape to the outer rim, but then he's pulled back in by the First Order attack. And mm -hmm. so I think that... The Which that... That, I just want to say that moment is also interesting because one thing they try to establish, especially by the second movie, but even in the first, is that his primary motivation is saving Ray. But we see in that scene in the cantina that no, his actual primary motivation is saving himself. And that he then, like, saving Ray, that he's willing to give up on Ray in order to get to the Outer Rim and get away from the fight. So I tried to um, go through and kind of nail down Finn's goals through the movies. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that it's surprisingly coherent. Because I think that in Force Awakens, it starts as just escape. But then it right. shifts to saving Rey. And that's expressed through, you know, on Takodano when she's, uh, when she's captured by Kylo. Uh, and as well as going to Starkiller Base to, to save her. And then in The Last Jedi, it starts off as save Rey. So it's consistent because he wants to get the binary beacon and get it away from the fleet so that she doesn't return and get killed. But it right. progresses and it becomes save the resistance more broadly. And so that's expressed most clearly when he's willing to crash into the battering ram cannon to try and destroy it and save the base. And then in the rise of Skywalker, it's completely flat and it's just save the resistance. And there's no progression to it. Um, yeah. And so I was actually pretty happy when nailing this down that it's it does kind of make steps and, and you do have some amount of character development, but it kind of stalls mm. at the end. And he yeah. stays very flat through the rise of Skywalker without much driving. him. But yeah, okay. when uh, jumping back for a second to the decisions being made for him, I think that's particularly problematic for a character who starts off by escaping a controlling environment as a stormtrooper mm -hmm. leaving that should be a self-actualizing decision. And it should create a situation where you are someone who is now more in control of your destiny. And Finn never seems to be the one who's driving the train. I think that's true. And I also think honestly, it could go the other way. I think there are many instances where a person leaves a, very controlling, very authoritarian situation. But even though they've chosen to leave that, they're still so conditioned in that way that they very quickly slip back into another kind of situation like that. But if that's the case, then he needs to have some growth. Yep. There, there, there should have been some moment where he recognizes that. You know, I mean, even there, what if he had been the one to say to Poe, you know what, I know that Haldo is giving us these orders and I know that, that Leia dressed you down, but here's why I think we shouldn't just obey Haldo that I think we're wrong. Yeah. You know, like that could have been a real moment for him because again, it would have been the tension between him and Finn, between him and Poe. Um, Cause yeah, I think, I think that's another issue that could have really been explored is when a person has been conditioned all their life just to follow orders and to not even have a name to just be this number. What happens when all of a sudden you have a name? What happens when all of a sudden you have an identity in a way that you'd never thought of before? Um, that that could have been a fantastic storyline, but again, just completely <laughs> robbed. Yeah. All right, so I, I think that covers most of the stuff we wanted to hit on. Obviously, we could go into great detail 
uh, with all of this. Um, but I think that about wraps it up. Is there any other kind of last last comments you want to make before we close out? Uh, I think that the biggest thing that underserved Finn was not having his own arc and antagonist. And yeah. especially since it was, you know, kind of hinted at and Phasma was a very cool looking character. It felt almost like he kind of had one, but he really did the entire fight yeah. from when Phasma arrives to when Phasma dies in uh, the last Jedi is under two minutes. And that is by far the most time that they spend on Finn having a antagonist that he is trying to overcome. And that's just, that's underserving one of your main characters. Yeah. I I think that's very true. And I, frankly, I remember being surprised uh, at, at what happened to Captain Phasma to the point that I even thought maybe she was going to, through the Jedi magic of falling down into pits, still live and come back in the third movie because her character was played up quite a lot in the the pre-movie advertising, especially because the actress who played her, who was Brienne of Tarth in uh, the Game of Thrones show, was very popular at the time. Uh, Gwendolyn, what's her last name? DeCourcy, thank you. Um, And so, yeah, I was very surprised at that. I think you're right. I think especially he, he needed more of an arc. He needed some of these some of these questions that I think the story writers didn't really want to decide, like they didn't want to decide what the force actually meant in the story. They didn't want to decide the value of the stormtroopers, And so his story got lost, but that giving him more of an arc in any of the directions we've mentioned and giving him a real antagonist and Phasma could have been a really good way to do it. But if you kill off Phasma in the second movie of the trilogy, now you need, you need to show that there's some real growth in that moment and that now he has a new antagonist. Mm -hmm. Um, and that antagonist can be himself. It can be something else, but he just needed somewhere to go. And, and I think that's just kind of the whole point we're talking about is that this is, it's, it's an issue of a character really being wasted. And that's from a pure, like a fan perspective. I think that's a problem and a bad thing, but that I think what John Boyega mentions and the reason why all this kind of gets folded into ethics is that it's, it's a larger problem, both because of the, the ethical storylines that we wind up not getting to explore, like this whole thing about the story about the um, stormtroopers or what's the meaning of the force, but also because we can't separate the questions of, of race and of um, the, how that factors into the decisions and the toxicity of the fandom and all that. And I think we have, um, you know, as two white guys, I think we haven't touched much on that topic because at least I feel it's kind of not really my lane. It's one I can be very supportive of, but frankly, I think John Boyega said it better than I ever can. And, We'll link to that that interview. But then I think it, it's obviously what's hanging over all of mm-hmm. this. And it's the thing that is, you know, it, it's why this is not just a discussion of a bad story writing thing, but a situation that <clears throat> gets into real problems about how, how these movies were made and, and something that I hope Star Wars is going to really learn from, that Disney's going to learn from, because John Boyega is a great actor. And, and frankly, I hate the idea that he now may not want any part of um, Disney stuff going forward in some way. I, I'd love to see him in the MCU in some way. Um, and I hope that hasn't, you know, soured him on that. So, yeah, that was just kind of like the, the closing thing I want to say in terms of um, why this topic is important. Yeah. And uh, and Jared, thank you so much, because I said it's one I hadn't really thought about much um, uh, until you brought up. And I really like the way you framed it and the, the discussion we were able to have today. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that we haven't said that I think deserves mentioning is that at least I feel that John Boyega did a great job with the material that was given. 
and and really yes. brought Finn to life uh, in a way that was enjoyable on screen, even if we're sitting here nitpicking how to make it better and how to more fully realize the character and, and give it yeah. what it deserves. One of the reasons we feel that it deserves more is because uh, of John's performances. I, I, th- I think I'm glad you said that because I think it's very assumed, but it, but it should really be named, especially be- and I think the best evidence for that is for all the many, many hours I have sat around in bars or when I should be working or on podcasts like this discussing everything that was wrong with the Star Wars universe and everything I loved about it because it's my favorite verse out there. <clears throat> I have not spent a single moment saying, you know, here's the way I wish they had developed Jar Jar Binks's character and done more with that character. And it's because I just found every moment the character was on screen to be deeply unpleasant. Um, I loved watching Finn. I think Boyega did a great job playing the role and and really helped me to see that the the storylines that could have been. And I think I think you're exactly right. It's because the actor had so much potential, the the character idea had so much potential, and the idea of having a, a person of color in that role had so much potential that the lack of all of it becomes all the more frustrating. Yeah, there's there's so much there, and there's so much potential that missing yeah. missing it is such a wasted opportunity and you know there were as you said there are other characters that obviously didn't get their due or didn't get written as well as they should have been and we don't care that much because we're not sure that if they were written better they would be any better but it yeah. feels like finn could have very clearly been a home run character and could have could have been so much more than he was um and that's those types of missed opportunities are really frustrating. And I think it highlights where my frustrations with the, what are we calling it? The post pull trilogy, the post schools. Okay. Yeah. Where the post schools go wrong, which is they just didn't have a plan at the beginning. And yeah, you know, one of the things that, uh, that came up during some of my research about this is Finn didn't have a last name largely as a J.J. Abrams mystery box. Not because he knew mm-hmm. what to do with it, but because it was something that he could play around with later if he wanted to. That's the type of thing that if you're going into movie one, I, as a viewer, and as someone who loves the Star Wars universe, and I, I still enjoy these movies, and I still enjoy mm-hmm. Star Wars, but I was very disappointed in them. The biggest disappointment yeah. to me was that it was eminently clear to me that they had no plan that went from one to from seven to eight to nine. And I I don't think there's there's nothing that makes me think that in Force Awakens and certainly not in Last Jedi that the writers knew that Ray was a Palpatine or or knew anything that was going to happen in the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's just that's unconscionable to me in the in the world of interconnected universes and the MCU if you're going to sit down and write a trilogy of Star Wars movies you have to you don't have to have the script for the third one but you better know the bones of it and yeah. not doing that in my opinion was exceptionally disrespectful to the fans and was the biggest mistake that they made yeah, I, I think that's <clears throat> excuse me. I, I think that's one where I, I would very much agree with you. And I think that it's interesting that um, more and more I've seen people who even like radically disagree on, you know, 
which of the three was the good movie and which was the bad. You know, people who are big Johnson people or Abrams people, and you and I are not on the same page on some of that. That I think that there's, there's more and more becoming a general agreement of that all three suffered because you didn't really have any kind of shared vision or any kind of clear, you know, the show Bible. It, it needed that bones. all the directors and writers. It needed, yeah, needed a skeleton bones. that these these people think, could come in and build on, and that just wasn't there. And I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again, but it it all of it I think makes me realize how spoiled we have been by the MCU <laughs> and how much of an incredible achievement what the MCU has pulled off was. And granted, it's not perfectly consistent by any means. But you look at other places that have tried to do a consistent universe, whether that's DC or Star Wars or some others, with mixed success and some some degree of success and some degree of failure. And it just really highlights that it is an incredibly difficult thing to do, but that you're right. You need to have some degree of overall creative control that says, here's what the first movie has to establish and it has to get to this point so the second movie can pick it up and get to this point. And, and also at least in these three movies, here's how the force works and here's how the stormtroopers work and here's how this is and here's how this is and we need to be consistent. So um, now that Jared and I have basically fixed filmmaking and fixed Star Wars, fans, what do you think? Um, would love to hear your thoughts. Um, are you also, do you have other theories on Finn or what could have been? Did you love the character and uh, disagree with something we had to say? Please let us know. You can find us on social media, um, uh, Facebook and um, Twitter, Superhero Ethics, um, or Star Wars Universe Podcast, but probably the best way to about this episode is to talk about it on the Superhero Ethics feeds. And really the best way to find everything about both of those podcasts is by going to strandedpanda.com. That's the website of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. And on there you can find information about um, these two podcasts, as well as a wealth of others, some that I'm involved in, others that are just doing great work right now. Uh, right now on PandaVision, we're doing week-by-week -week, uh, reviews of the boys as it comes out and also i'm not involved but a couple other great folks are doing it on the lovecraft country uh lovecraft county uh no i'm sorry it is lovecraft country um i've always gotten those two words mixed up um another great show as well as there's other great stuff about other movies the mcu content star trek content anything as a fan you can be into so please check all that out jared thank you so much for being a guest thank you everybody for listening and have a great day